You're listening to episode six of Curtis and Otis. He's not a knight, he's a yardbird. It feels like the start of a horror story. Oh, not horror, Nigel. Unless you consider being friendless and entrapped by a local mob boss while your ruse of pretending to be an English knight is about to be discovered a horror story. Sounds like a horror story. Sounds pretty awful. And it's exactly the precarious situation in which Curtis Yardbird finds himself. <laughs> Sounds like the rain's coming. Curtis has just found out that Otis sabotaged his chances at landing in the Renaissance Fair Hall of Fame. Instead, Otis ensured that Curtis would be stranded with him here in Bakersfield, California. That's not right at all. Curtis left Otis alone in the garage, and now he's wandering down the driveway. He sits on the curb and puts his head in his hands. Just great. He could go back inside, of course. But that would mean being in the same space as Otis. Stubborn bloke! He has no idea that Frenchie has been watching from inside the house. She comes out, into the rain, and sits next to him on the curb. Frenchie, go back inside. You'll catch cold. No, never been one to get sick. She pulls out a cigarette and tries to light it. Not gonna work in the rain! Ah, screw it. Came out to tell you something. I was in love once. Hard to believe, huh? Not so hard to believe, French. Guy didn't love me back. Turned out he'd been on a left-handed honeymoon the whole time. Least I tried it. I tried for love. Could have been some kind of housewife, I guess. But instead, I ended up landlady to YouTube dips. Just one dip. Well, if it were up to me, I'd say don't give up yet. You matched with someone, didn't you? I did. Why not find out what happens? Don't stay stuck in this garage. But she thinks I'm a talent agent. <sighs> so be a talent agent. Can't be that hard. Here. She pulls a diamond ring off her finger. Frenchie. It's just a piece of junk someone gave me once. Give it to your girl before it's too late. Frenchie stands. Thanks, French. Oh, it's a fake. Just like my marriage. But best not to tell her that. Now get going before you're totally soaked. She goes back into the house. Curtis looks down at the ring, rainwater running down his face and into his eyes. He hears Hugh's voice echoing in his head. And she better be wearing a diamond ring. Diamond ring. Diamond ring. Curtis takes a breath. He knows what he needs to do. Nigel, have you ever been backstage in a theater? I don't know that I have. Well, on many stages, there's something called a scrim which is a lightweight woven fabric that hangs from the ceiling all the way down to the floor. All right, then. If you set up lights behind it, they'll shine through the scrim. But you can't see through it. You only see the glow of the lights. Okie dokie, I'm picturing it. On the other hand, 
if someone were to stand behind the scrim, but in front of the light, you'd see their shadow very clearly from the audience. I think I see where you're going with this. Good. Let's join Augusta and Charlie back at the theater. It's an evening tech rehearsal, which means the director is walking through all the lighting cues, and the actors are in full makeup and costume. They stand backstage, behind the scrim, holding new scripts. And I see Augusta is wearing a pregnant belly again. No. No. Augusta, this is totally ridiculous. Charlie, why do you complain so much? This scene makes much more sense now that the lines are changed. You can't change Shakespeare. Shakespeare's perfect. That is so stupid. You can change anything. Shakespeare doesn't make sense to anyone. Why did you even audition? Bring up lighting cue 16. Just then, lights come up from behind Charlie and Augusta on the floor, casting their shadows against the scrim. And anyone out in the audience can see their shadows. At the moment, it's bored-looking cast members, Doug, Callie, and Edie. Edie doesn't look bored. She looks angry. Well, that's a given. But back behind the scrim... So rude, Charlie. Just let it be. Augusta. Curtis? What are you doing Hi, here? I'm Charlie. You're the night-slash-talent agent, right? By the way, I'm currently unrepresented and would love to meet with you to discuss. Y yes, yes, let's do, please, but... Could I have a moment alone with Augusta? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Charlie steps away. She doesn't even understand Shakespeare, and she gets an agent. Leaving Augusta and Curtis alone, but not unobserved. You shouldn't get his hopes up. Well, you never know who might get a slot on my rooster. But why are you still faking a pregnancy? What was I supposed to do, Curtis? The costume is fitted for a big belly. Oh, right. <sighs> Here goes. He pulls the ring from his pocket and kneels down, preparing to propose. A collective gasp rises from the theater. The other actors are watching very closely to this developing scene. What are you doing? Ms. Augusta, you are the most confusing person I've ever met. Would you be my wife? You can't be serious. I am serious. This is messed up for so many reasons. I don't even know you, Curtis Yardbird. Yeah, but how, how did you... Yeah, you lied to me. You're a Renaissance Fair knight, not a real knight. You're just an American, aren't you? How do you know that? You uh, left your wallet, so I looked at it. Then I Googled you, and you're not a knight. You're not even a talent agent. And you want to get married? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you, Sir Wyndham? He's not a Sir, Callie. Well, what about you, hmm? What about you, who's faking a pregnancy to get attention? What? This baby is just a pillow tucked under your skirt. Curtis, shh. Yes, it's a pillow. A molting pillow that's tied to a stomach. She has it in there right now. Show them, Augusta. Take it out. In an ill-thought move, Curtis reaches for the pillow. Don't. Curtis, don't touch me. Don't touch her. Curtis pulls back. I'm not touching her. You're just a yard bird pecking around like a bird in the dirt. You stole my wallet and my watch. Your accent is fake. You're a terrible actress. You're a terrible person. You pickpocketed my friend in the parking lot after we won the lotto. You faked all this because I lifted pocket change off some oaf in the parking lot? He's not an oaf. He's my best friend and I've lost him because of you. Unbelievable. I'm leaving. 
Your father's a criminal. Don't bring my parents into this. He kidnapped me and threatened to kill me if I didn't. Curtis suddenly remembers Hugh's plan to chippity-chop him up if he doesn't marry Augusta and make a grandson. Oh, wait. Oh, Augusta, please, please marry me. No. I'm begging you. Marry me and let's run away. Please. I'm so sorry about the other stuff, but but please, if you don't marry me and have a baby boy, your father will have chippy choppity chip me up with a chippity choppity knife company knife. What did he say? Please, Augusta, please marry me. Please, please, please don't let them chop me. Please. By now, Curtis is on his knees, absolutely desperate. Augusta looks down at him. The actors wait in stunned silence for her answer. Please? The fake diamond twinkles at Augusta. At least she can't resist that. She takes the ring. I'll think about it. When will you decide? Come back on opening night. I'll talk to you after the show. Peachy. After the show. Peachy. She storms off the stage, leaving Curtis on his knees. He slowly stands, humiliated. Well then, everyone. See you opening night. Curtis leaves the theater, crestfallen. He somehow can sense that this situation is not going to turn out great for him. With nowhere to go... His pride won't allow him to return to the garage and confront Otis. He makes his way to a city park and finds a nice, cozy bench. I deserve this. Once again soaked, and now homeless and heartbroken, Curtis curls up on a bench, pulling his jacket over his head. Oof, that's rough, that is, for Curtis. It is. The next morning, 30 miles away at the Women's Corrections Facility, Augusta has an appointment. In the prison visitor's area, she sits at a metal table, waiting. Is she wearing her prego belly? Nope, not today. Hmm. A guard brings in Beverly Mills, a beautiful woman in her 60s. Wait, Beverly Mills? That's the gal in the headshot Augusta has hanging on her bulletin board. The one with the beauty mark just above her lip. It's all coming together. Beverly sits across from Augusta and takes her in. What happened to your baby, sweets? Ma. Hello? Can we say hello before you start criticizing me? Hello, Augusta. What happened to your baby? Uh, the baby fell out. Told you. I know. Told you to get the Luna bump. I know. But you didn't want to shell out. Didn't want to pay real money for a fake baby. Yeah, okay, Mom, come on. Should have bought the Luna bump. Real silicone. Even feels real. Okay. Won't fall out. Yeah, okay. Next time. It didn't matter, though. He still proposed, so I still win. Still proposed? Oh, he likes you. Must be a lonely sucker, too. You got the ring? Augusta pulls out the ring and shows her. Whoa, it's beautiful. Dang, it's a fake. You said the guy's a knight? He told me he was a knight, but he lied. He's just a yard bird. What the hell's a yard bird? It's his last name. Well, shoot. Sounds like he's on the dole. Maybe. So, the knight is toppled, and he's just a poor old bird pecking around in the dirt, just like the rest of us. Yep. 
By the way, I put more money in your account. Mm. Does your dad know? No. I told him I needed money for baby quotes. <laughs> Damn, that's a good one. Uh, oh, poor man. I miss him. I miss both of you. And all your stupid problems. I miss you too, Mom. Mom, I want to say something. Shoot. I kind of like Curtis. The fake knight? Yeah, I, I like him. He's funny and awkward and kind, and he likes me, even though I lied to him. Well, you're both liars. I shouldn't have told you. Augusta, for a long time, I was a loner. A one-woman show, working only to enrich myself. I went from job to job knowing I could skim a little money from any dummy I worked for. That is, until one young, handsome partner caught on. And you know why? Because he was doing the same thing, but better. Oh, your father is clever. I knew he was the only one for me. Because I can only respect a man if he can see through my grift. If you found a man who can see through your hogwash, honey, you gotta hold on to him. He's probably the only person who'll ever truly understand you. Time's up. Thanks, Mom. How long till you get out? Who knows? Just tell your father not to get too comfortable. With that, she stands and exits. The Heartbreaker has a weak point after all. Don't we all, Nigel? I suppose we do. And speaking of weak points, let's check in with our old pal Otis, who is currently slumped on the sofa in the garage, deeply steeped in a depression of sorts. Oh, this bloke's in poor form, he is. The television is going, but he barely hears it. So mired in his gloom he is. Just when you think you've got the chicken completely chopped, you've got to go back and really dice it, really hack it, like this. That's one voice that ought to catch his attention. It's the Chippity Choppity Knife Company commercial. Otis watches as Augusta, on screen, slices up a fully cooked chicken. But then something odd happens. She looks straight into camera. Her beauty mark sparkles at Otis. Huh? And then she speaks right to him. I'll cut him, I'll gut him, I'll mince him, he'll wince when I cleave him, relieve him of all fleshly needs and deceive him, desleeve him, carve out all his meats, and before you can find him, I'll slice up and grind him. No. I'll make short work of this yard bird. No. <laughs> Augusta handles the kitchen knife expertly, stabbing and stabbing and stabbing into the bird carcass over and over again. No, 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 no. Watch, Otis. Watch and see what I'm doing to your friend. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. He's in love with me. Go back to hell where you come from, you harpy. It was a dream. Otis sits up and looks around, the infomercial still running in the background. That's enough. That's enough. I'm a coming, Curtis. Otis dashes out the door, determined to rescue his friend. Our friendship, it'll overcome all obstacles. Will it? We'll find out next time in the final chapter of the story of Curtis and Otis.
Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a peachy review so others can find out about our podcast. The story of Curtis and Otis was created by Alison Volk and recorded at Seven Even Studios in Signal Hill, California, where you can't throw a rock without hitting a screenwriter, who will then write a script about how you threw a rock and hit him and he'll paint you in a most unflattering light. How were you supposed to know he was standing there? For a full cast and crew list, read the show notes.